Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through the entire book of Romans today. Y'all ready? This, this is a problem, right? So for people who love the Bible, and I'm not going to pat myself on the back. I guess I maybe kind of did a little bit there. But, but like you, so I've been, you know, com- coming out of what we've come out of as a, as a family personally and then our community as a church family with losing my mom almost a month ago now you know, trying to find my footing again, processing, going through lots of things. Um, you know, you, you reevaluate everything. And I think we all do that. We actually, it's kind of human nature. When you go through something difficult, you're going to reevaluate everything. And like even, even the opportunity for a new job or some, you move or something happens, some change in the norm for you, you're going to reevaluate everything. And what you believe about God will determine the decisions that you make along that way. Specifically, how God sees you and what He thinks about you. And if you filter in your life's circumstances as if God is pulling puppet strings in your life and you're always trying to understand Him through circumstance, you're not going to stand on the sure foundation of the gospel. You're going to have this kind of mixed theology circumstantial theology. Like it's we, I believe what I believe about God because of what has happened to me. That's where a lot of people are. Their beliefs about God are not rooted in the Word. They're mixed with this happened to me, therefore that means this about God. Ow. God made me do that because I said this. <laughs> Are you with me? And that's so, it's, it's basic, it's fundamental, it's contrary to the way some people think. However, it's a reality that your beliefs about God must be shaped by the Word. So I really just wanted to take some time, and I, you know, I have a couple of specifics that I want to focus on in Romans. I am going to read a lot, but I'll highlight some things as we go, because what I want to talk about is this idea. There's a couple of things that I want to talk about over the next couple of weeks and that is what faith is, walking in the newness of spirit and living by faith. This is new. i got to get this to work. Living, so all right, here's the things that we want to talk about. Living in the newness of spirit. These are all coming out of Paul. Living in the newness of spirit. What does that mean? Living from an obedient heart. Obedience from the heart rather than obedience to the law is a, another thing that we want to talk about. And then how do you actually live by faith? In some circles, living by faith is they wake up and they discern a voice and they say, okay, well, by faith, I'm going to follow that voice because God said. And that might happen, but that happens very little in terms of how we actually follow God. So those are the kinds of things we're going to put that in a soup and stir it up and we're going to talk about it. And here we go. Y'all ready? Mostly living in the newness of faith. Or living in the yeah, living in the newness of spirit, and what does that look like in a real way where you can actually live under the influence of the spirit, actually impacted by his spirit, and it takes faith and how to have that faith and what faith is. Sound good? All right, so here we go. We're going to start in Romans one. So be ready. Put your 
reading mind on. You ready? Romans 1, we're going to actually read 1 through 10 if you're following along. I'm in the ESV. So here we go. This is why Paul wrote Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. God promised the gospel beforehand, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in holy scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. So Romans, he's writing to, you know, Paul's writing to a church uh, that the Jews had to leave, but they can come back now. So you've got a mixed church of Jewish believers, Gentile believers, and some Jewish believers that were still mixing Old Covenant tradition with this New Covenant way of life. That they, Some were doing it ignorantly. They didn't know the fullness of the New Covenant. And some were still just holding to the tradition of their former law. And that, this is Paul, it's a master class that Paul goes through of basically reframing the idea of what righteousness is, that it is now by faith, it is by believing God, and God gives righteousness through the sacrifice of Christ and as you believe in Him. And all types of different things that come as a result of that that, you, that we have to talk about. So, uh, verse 2 again, "...which He promised, the gospel, beforehand through His prophets and holies, concerning His Son, who was descended from David." according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Focus on this right here. I'm going to read a lot, but I'm going to highlight things to remember along the way. This idea, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations. That's what we want to talk about. Bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name. How do you obey in faith? What is faith? How do you have faith? I'll give you a clue. Faith is not something that you have more of than you have. Faith means one thing, and that is trust. So the only thing that determines great or little faith is how much you trust versus how much you trust. You may be more confident in God in this one area than you are, but you might be more confident in God than that person in another area. That's the only difference of what makes faith different. There's not more of it. It's not a de declaration type thing where your great faith, you declare it out there and it makes God respond to you. That's not what faith is. Faith is a response to God. Say that. Faith is a response to God. Amen? God is... God says, and you choose, do I believe that? That determines whether or not you're walking in great or little faith. So what has He said, specifically regarding your situation? Uh, so verse 5, "...through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ." Not just those who are called, but including those. And he's talking about the Jews. Verse 7, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not just a greeting or like a salutation. He's talking about something to actually engage with, engaging with God's Spirit in a real way to walk in the newness of life 
that we are made to be now. We are new creatures. I'm, I've got all this packed in my head, so y'all pray that it just comes out where I don't completely overwhelm you. But All right, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son. So he writes it in verse 5 so that through the obedience of faith, we would bring glory to His name among all the nations. And Paul is doing it himself. He's serving with his spirit in the gospel. How do you serve with your spirit? It's a question that I want to ask, about, ask you to think about. He says it. He's doing it. Ultimately, it's what he's talking about in almost this entire book in a certain way. It's about other things as well. But let's talk about what that looks like in practical terms. Now, we're going to talk about it over a few weeks. So I'm not going to give you some nice little package today where you go home and say, now I understand what it means to live. And, you know, Ultimately, it's, it's an intuitive internal relationship that you walk in relationship with the leading of the Spirit. But we'll talk about what that even... It's more practical than you realize. So, verse... And then you... Uh, so, verse 10, just to finish that idea. Always in prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Skip down to verse 16 in chapter 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, or the chosen first, and also to the Greek. For in the righteous, for in it, in what? The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous or the just shall live by faith. Man, I'm telling you what, we've made living by faith pretty goofy in a lot of ways. We've made living by faith like we're trying to discern some external message rather than living from dependence on God. To live in faith is to live trusting God. Not trying to figure out what He wants you to do, but convincing your heart that He is who He already said He is. So that's the difference in faith. Faith is not trying to figure out what God is saying or wanting you to do as much as it is trying to be convinced of what He's already done. And when you're convinced of what He's already done through Christ, specifically for you, it, you then kind of know what to do. You get your identity in the right place, and it informs your decisions. So we live from this place. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians live from this place where it's like, okay, God's out here. I need you to come to me. I need you to send me some signal. I need you to, do, I need you to move this. I need you to move. And he's like, look, I've already done in you everything that you need. I've put Christ in you. I've cleansed you. I've given you a new heart. It, my law is written in there. You know how to follow me. So just take some time and relay that foundation of who Christ is within you. Depend on God. Trust God that what He said, you got to know what He said, is true. And then make decisions and trust that you're following Him. That's the problem. We don't trust that we're following Him. So I'm going to go... I'm, there's a point that he makes here that's interesting. In Romans 2, 14... See, Paul's going through this whole thing of trying to show them that righteousness comes by faith and not the law. The law was not bad. The law is not evil, but it was given to reveal to us our sin that we need a Savior and so that you don't try to live by the law any longer. You acknowledge its place, 
Praise God for it because without it, like Paul says, I wouldn't know that I needed Jesus. But look how he talks about these two, these people here, the people who didn't have the law. There's so much to cover. I'm going to try to hit some highlights here. Romans 2.14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness with them, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. Now, this is very interesting because it gives us a clue, a glimpse, really an explanation of how to live in faith toward God, led by Him. And he uses the term instinctively, written in their heart. Let me read it again. Now, this is how it actually works for us now because we don't live under the law. Do you throw the law out? Does that mean you should just run around and sin and not worry about it? No, there's a different way of living now. It's not that, oh, I'm free from the law and do whatever I want to do. It's like, no, I don't need the law anymore to tell me what I'm supposed to do because now I have faith. Now I have the Spirit of the living God within me that tells me how to live. And the way that that works is like this. Verse 14 again, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law. They don't even know it, but they're doing it. That's how it works now. But you, don't, you can't just decide, oh, I'm going to be instinctual right now. It's a deeper level that it happens within. And it's rooted in mind renewal unto transformation, you believing the truth about who God is, acknowledging who He is, acknowledging that He's your Lord, He's your judge, putting the Word within there, and then you flow from that instinctual place. Does that make sense? I realize that's incredibly frustrating for half, half of the people in this room because it's like, wait a minute, I want to know A, B, C, and D. I want to know what I'm supposed to do. Tell me what I'm supposed to do, God, and I'll do it. He's like, no, I want you to know who I am. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know that my guidance system is within you. Then I want you to be free. And in your freedom, walking in love toward me and knowing that I love you, watch. You'll make the right decision. And you're thinking, I've made some really bad decisions. Well, that's when you're thinking carnally, which he addresses later, rather than spiritually. All right. One more time. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience. Your conscience will actually help you remember who you are who God is, and the right thing to do. It's not just about doing the right thing. It's about living in such a way where your actions and your choices actually bring glory to His name, like He said in the beginning, right? So I wanna, I'm going to do some teaching, but set you free, but also challenge you all at the same time. How's that sound? So He makes, he makes the point in verse 2, what we just read. He makes this point as a setup for when He gets into living by faith and living in the new newness of spirit and being spiritually minded. So then he goes through the rest of chapters 2 through 4, and it's the law was given to reveal sin. As I said, it wasn't evil. You know, a lot of people were accusing Paul of like what people accuse greasy grace people or new grace or hyper grace. There's all these clever terms that people use against people 
who say you are not under the law anymore. Now, there are some people who don't understand that being free from the law now means that you are obedient through faith. They think, well, I'm just free from the law. It's like, yeah, but you forgot about that obedience. God always wants obedience, always. But He doesn't want you to just externally keep a law because anybody can do that and there's no relationship in that. He wants your heart. He wants to be so connected to you that you live from this place where you're just led by His Spirit. It's like you're just one with Him. You're moved by Him in a real way. You know, the Spirit has been removed from a lot of church because it's just like, okay, well, here's the Bible. Let's approach it from as an academic perspective. Let me just know the doctrine. And, and I know I'm supposed to do right, but I probably won't. So therefore, you know, and then we get kind of... That's where all the different denominations come in. We just start making stuff up after that. There is a real way to live under the power and the influence of His Spirit. All right, so <clears throat> Abraham was considered righteous because he believed God. So he's the father of faith righteousness. You ever heard that term, faith righteousness? We use it here, but I, haven't, I don't hear it a lot. You know, there's law-based righteousness and there's faith righteousness. There really isn't law-based righteousness because the law could not make you righteous anyway. You realize that? First off, it was only given to the Jews, the Israelites. Secondly, it cannot. So if you were to live perfectly, that would not be your righteousness. It's relationship. It's given. It's something that God says you are in right standing. And He's defined that right standing through belief in His Son as an atonement for, your, for you. All right, so then you jump into chapter 5, and the big takeaway is verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, we have peace with God. Say, I have peace with God. You know, peace on earth, goodwill toward man, from God. Peace means wholeness. It means restoration. The peace that we have with God means that we have brought back we have been brought into right relationship the relationship that was broken has been repaired and even better really because we're new creatures but that's what peace is peace is not just the promise of god saying i will no longer be angry with you it's not just i'm not holding your sin against you even though that was a promise of the new covenant it's that we're in right relationship and i'll tell you this in spite of your behavior now, does that make you want to run out and sin? If, you, if it does, and if that's what you hear, like if you hear this and you hear, well, this is going to make people sin or want to sin, or you're giving a license to sin, you don't understand what obedience of faith means, which is actually a higher bar. You know what obedience of faith is? It's this, Jesus saying, the law says, you've heard it said this, you commit adultery, you're guilty of hellfire. I say, you even look at someone else with lust in your heart. You have committed adultery. To not look at someone with lust in your heart toward that person, that's obedience of the heart. And you can't even do that on your own. That's why He had to give you a new heart. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. We have been brought into right relationship. We are whole. We are one with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace 
in which we stand. Man, I'm telling you what, chapter 5, verse 2 is a whole discourse of Christian living. Through Him, we have obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand. You stand in grace. But it's the confidence of your heart that helps you stand in that grace. And grace is a divine influence on your heart. That's what you want to have happen when you are engaging in this mind renewal unto transformation process, is that you access grace by faith. Because grace is the active agent within you that produces the change that you can't, that the law doesn't produce, that you can't work up on your own, but becomes a fruit. Grace grows unto godly fruit. And it's an instinctive process that happens at a heart level. And that's why so much of Christianity is just surface and people don't understand it and people stay stuck. People get saved and their life doesn't change. Why? Because they're not taught to engage the Spirit of God to experience fruit. They're trying to do it in their own flesh and their own strength. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. All those things that you're still struggling with, you're fighting a battle that Jesus already won and you're not living in the power of His Spirit and His victory. Amen? We're going to talk about that. I'm not going to give you answers. I'm going to show you the way. You know what I mean? Like my intent, when I, when I teach this stuff, I want to get detailed to bring about what it actually says. But what we are left with is, okay, well, it's up to me to engage in this relationship with God. It's up to me to connect with the Spirit of the living God. It's up to me to access grace by faith and stand in that grace and experience transformation and fruit that brings glory to His name. Amen? Like that can't just happen from you doing the right thing because if your heart's not in it, what does it matter that you've done the right thing? Now, I'm going to read this entire chapter because there's just so much relevance in this next verse, in this next chapter, chapter 6. This is Paul's rebuttal to those who would say, okay, well, Paul, you're talking about this no law thing. Kind of sounds like you're saying you're, you're saying sin's okay. Are you saying that we should continue in sin? Are you saying that we should throw away? What, what are you saying, Paul? Does that sound familiar? All right. Paul dealt with it from the very beginning, and it's still being done. When the gospel is properly preached, people should ask the question, kind of sounds like you're, are you saying sin is okay? And then you get to follow up with, of course not. We're just talking about living from a different way. If you hear that, if that's your response, that tells me you don't understand what the obedience of faith is. We, we hear the word obey and we instantly think action rather than belief from the heart. That's why we talk so much about persuading your heart of His truth and who He is. And I can tell, even as I'm saying these things, it's kind of like, I can, see, I can see the grapple, right? But I want that to happen because I want you to take the information and take it to a deeper level and say, how am I actually living by faith toward God? Am I actually living from a place of confidence toward who God is in this situation? Whether that be a job opportunity, whether that be disciplining your children, or whether that be dealing with the sin. Am I living by faith, meaning... Am I living in such a way where I am confident in who God is to influence me in this area that produces a transformation where I experience the fruit 
of him in me. Right? Like living by faith doesn't mean well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna do the right thing. Ultimately, doing the right thing is the like the last end of the spectrum. That's the fruit, right? But what's in you? The simplest question, the simplest way I can put that is, are you living in such a way where whatever you're facing, you are confident in God to lead you in that situation? Not just that He will, but that you can actually follow Him. Are you confident that you can follow God? Right? Are you? Now, we hear, can you follow God? And man, I'm telling you, that's, that's like, you know, how many ever many people in here, that's how many different answers we get. What do you mean, follow God? So that's, you know, a little bit open to interpretation. But ultimately, it means following Him and doing what He would lead you to do, right? Are you confident that you can make a decision and it's what God would want you to do? Or do you say, well, I'm just an old dirty sinner. I'm not sure about this. I don't know what the right thing to do is. God, please help me. God, please help me. Okay, I prayed. Now I'm going to go do this. I'm telling you, that's what a lot of people do. I see it all the time sitting in my office. People pray. They ask for godly wisdom, and then they do something completely different than what the Bible says to do in their situation. <coughs> you do it too. God, you pray, and then you go and you make a decision. What I'm telling you is that it is possible for you to pray, but prayer should be reconditioning your mind and your heart of who He is, who you are in Him, and then you make a confident decision out of this interaction that you've just had with Him, and you watch a steady process of doing that will show you, you build this track record of, man, I'm following God. I'm hearing God, and I didn't even realize I was hearing God. And it's a mature way of following God. The immature way of following God is, God, I need to hear from you. I'm freaking out. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And some friend calls you and says, hey, do this. Or you do the Bible roulette game. Grab your Bible. (laughs) That sounds pretty good. I'll do that. Hey, it's page 52. I was thinking of 52. 52, you know. You've done it. That's why you're laughing. (laughs) Haven't you? Did you do it this morning? I, I am poking a little bit of fun at that. But it's true. It's what we do. We're so immature. We, because, it's because we don't know. We haven't taken the time to believe the gospel. We haven't taken... The, when I say we, I mean the church in general, the body of Christ in general. We're so surface about it. We're so focused on behavior. We're so focused on whether or not it's sin or not. Sin is always bad. Don't do it. It kills. I mean, you know, it's a no-brainer. But... Have you grown up in your Christianity? Have you grown up in your relationship with God where you make decisions and you actually trust that it's God leading you? Some people are like, but my heart's wicked. Well, you know, that's a whole other thing. If you're, okay, so somebody was thinking that, let me just tell you, your heart's not wicked. You've been born again. God gave you a new heart that has God's laws written on it. Would God's new heart that He placed within you be wicked? 
that was an old covenant confession of having a wicked heart. Now your heart might believe improperly, you might do wickedness, but the core of what you are is no longer wicked. It is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, I'm not going to go into all that right now, but that's I, know, I realize that's very challenging in some circles. Romans 6, let's, we're just going to go through this. Uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That is the proper way to think about sin. I'm dead to it. Why am I still living in it? You still live in it because you don't know, you're not living in the newness of spirit because you don't know who you are in that situation. And if you don't know who you are, you're not going to let the Spirit of God empower you to live in such a way that mirrors the Spirit of the living God within you. Did you follow that? If you don't know who you are, you're not going to follow God into what ultimately turns into obedience outwardly. So, should we continue in sin? No. Why would you? You're dead to sin. Verse 3, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus... Now, this is not saying you've been dunked in water and when they pulled you out of the water, they said, in Christ Jesus. This is talking about into the body of Christ. You've been baptized. Now, water, may, water baptism may, have be, may be the place where you profess this, but this is talking about a spiritual baptism into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit, when you say yes, baptizes you, puts you in Christ. You are hidden with Christ in God. That's the fruit of this baptism is that you're baptized in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? Now, I know that's like the last several weeks I've kind of gone through this emotional processing thing and I'm hitting you with all this technicality today, but I'm telling you we're going to go to a place where it's going to, it's challenging, but it's going to produce some mature decision-making on your part as a Christian if you let the process happen. Uh, so, don't verse 3, do you not know that all of us who, are who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death because He died as you. He died in your place. He was a propitiation for you so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. You know, so that's, that's really what's driving this whole few weeks for me is walking in the newness of life. You know, life is difficult. Things happen that are contrary to the will of God. We make big messes. Sometimes injustices happen. But how we live can be in the newness of life. You can live in such a way where you have a peace that doesn't make sense to the world. A peace that to the, exter to the person observing you thinks that you, don't, you either don't care or you don't understand or you're detached from the situation because you have such a peace that doesn't let yourself be swayed by whatever it is that you're dealing with. That's newness of life. And then there's multiple ways to kind of unpack that, what that looks like. Are you with me? All right, verse 5, For if we have become united with Him, say, I'm united with Him, in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, 
knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died is freed from sin. Some people will tell you that by nature you are a sinner and you're going to sin because you are still by nature a sinner. This says you have died to sin. When you want to sin or when you give in to sin, you are crawling into the grave and acting like you're dead man. Ultimately, that grave is in your mind, in your carnal, in your thinking, and not spiritual in your thinking. He goes into verse, in chapter 8, he goes into that. We're not going to go into that today, but we're going to get there. Say, I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. Really? I'm dead to sin? Because, you know, a couple days ago, I was really kind of... You know, think about it. What's your favorite sin? Everybody should side up a little bit straighter. I mean, you know, you get mad in traffic. You know, we'll, we'll put it at that level, right? We'll put it at that level. You know, your boss made you work a little bit longer and you got upset. Whatever, you know, I don't know. Your atti- let's, let's leave it at attitudinal issues, okay? We won't go too deep today. You're dead to that. You guys watch the Shark Tank? What's the guy's name? Kevin. They, they don't make a deal. You're dead to me. <laughs> he cuts off, you know. They present their deal. You're dead. You're dead to me. That's what we should do with sin. That, that temptation, you're dead to me. That's not who I am. It has, that has no power in my life. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once. Think about that for a minute. The death that He died... He died to sin once. It ties death and sin. Why? The wages of sin is death. You will no longer die. Did you know for the believer that you will not taste death? Why? Because the wages of sin are not determining your future any longer. Now, you might have the fruit of sinful behavior in this life because you make decisions against God's leading in your life. And you, you know, we all act a fool sometimes still, and it produces problems for us. But in terms of who you are and how God is leading you, you're dead to sin. You don't have to, do you realize you don't have to struggle with sin anymore? Like if you were living in this newness of life that it's talking about, you don't have to worry about, you don't have to struggle with it. Not because you're perfect in your behavior, but because when you face it, there is much more grace available than your desire to sin. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Why? So that you won't sin. Grace is a power. Grace is not, you did this, I'm going to forgive you. That's mercy. Grace is, here, here's some power. Here comes the sin, but there's a bunch more grace over here. You can choose that. Why wouldn't you? Because you don't know who you are. Some of us kind of like wallowing in the 
You know, it's like it feels good, it's, it's familiar, whatever. It's challenging, I'm telling you, man. I understand. Do, do you think God wants you to live sinlessly? Would he expect something unrealistic? I'm, it's, are you saying that I can live and never sin again? Well, if you're empowered by his spirit, maybe. But that's not what's going to make you righteous. That just means you're going to walk. You're going to be incredibly peaceful. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12. So this is kind of the instructional part. This is what I want us to practice for the next couple of weeks. Verses 12 and 13. Romans 6, verses 12 and 13. And we'll put this in an email and send it all out there. This is your homework. I want you to practice this, okay? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts, And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That's your homework. Present yourself as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, what does that mean to you? I'm not going to tell you because you have to figure that out for yourself. How do you not present let how do you not let sin reign in your mortal body and present your body as an instrument of righteousness to God? An instrument of righteousness. So what is an instrument? You know, right? That thing that that guitar right there will not start playing itself. It cannot. But when it's played, when Chris jumps on that thing, it sounds pretty good. You are an instrument of God's righteousness. If you yield to God, He will play His righteousness through you. You can't do it on your own. But empowered by His grace, you can. Why would you not choose grace? A lot of times because we don't know how we forget. We have our brains hardwired to run these patterns and we keep falling. We complicate it. It, it, It feels hard to let grace win over temptation. We think we're a sinner. I'm telling you, a lot. There's one of the biggest lies of Christianity is that you're still a sinner or that you have a dual nature. You're partly righteous, partly sinner. This says you're dead to sin. You died in Christ. Does it not? Your body might still crave it. You crave it when you think carnally, but when you think spiritually, you're an instrument of righteousness. Can you, I mean... Can you imagine how well God plays guitar? Like, what would that be like? (laughs) So He plays you, but it's righteousness that comes out. Like, how talented is God at playing righteousness? You yield yourself. What does that look like? That's your homework. Work out these two. You know, you, this is where you work out your own salvation that you've been given with awe and respect and fear and trembling with Him. You do this. Go do this. Go figure out what it looks like for you. How do you yield yourself to be an instrument of His righteousness? 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, 
but under grace. Again, grace is not just mercy, it's an empowerment. Grace is power. What then, verse 15, shall we sin because we're no longer under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves, so he's going to say the same thing in a different way, as slaves for obedience, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart by trusting in Jesus to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. These are, these are very profound, challenging concepts. You are a slave of righteousness. You have no choice but to obey righteousness. You don't always, you know, slaves can rebel. Praise God. I mean, what, talk about the worst human idea ever, slavery. Anyway, verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. It's like he presents the idea of, of yielding yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness, and then he takes the language even further. So he repeats what he says, but he doubles down on it with even stronger language. You're free from sin. And you can yield to God as an instrument of righteousness. And then it says, in fact, you're a slave to righteousness. Verse 20, for when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God... You derive your benefit resulting in satisfaction or sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Skip to uh, Romans 7 verse 6. Just to kind of wrap this up, this is the last one we're going to read. But now we have been released from the law having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You serve in newness of Spirit. You are dead to sin. You are alive to God. You have been given righteousness. Now live up to it. Now live worthy of it. Not to keep it, not to prove your worthiness, but because He's created a way in that, you can live in this newness of spirit and yield yourself to Him and be empowered by Him to bring glory to His name. It's, it's actually pretty simple. Like, like when I meet Paul, I'm going to say, Dude, man, couldn't you have made it a little less complicated? But I'm sure God had His reason for having Paul write exactly what he wrote. Who am I to... But anyway... Even, even Peter's like, you know, Paul's kind of hard to understand. She's like, I'm an English major. It's not hard. You're simple, you simple-minded people. No, I'm, I'm kidding. She's not thinking that. She's sweeter than that. 
That's exactly what judgment looks like, in case y'all are wondering. Like, she made an action, and I just knew. <laughs> Object lesson. Uh, so, right, the, what I want to leave you with is that idea. There is the capacity to live in newness of spirit, right? You are dead to sin. The next time you're out there and that thing, whether it be food, whether it be attitude, whether it be a behavior, whatever it might be, ultimately, if you really want to know what the definition is, is anything not of faith is sin. So, you know, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I really don't have any sin in my life. Ooh. There it is. <laughs> but does that mean you're not righteous? No, because righteousness is not associated with behavior. Righteousness is a free gift given by faith in Christ. If we could just get the body of Christ to understand that, there'd be a lot of freedom to follow God, laying aside the guilt and the shame of messing, you know, making mistakes doesn't make you free. It's like Paul says, Beloved, I write these things to you so that you don't sin. But if you do, remember, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you. Not so that God will keep forgiving you over and over and over and over and over and over, and over but to remind you that you are forgiven, to remind you that you are His child, Really, ultimately, that's what prayer is more than anything, is a process of mind renewal, remembering, remembering who He is, remembering what He's done, remembering all the promises that He's made, getting yourself back to a right place before you make this, the decision so that you make the decision from, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am loved by Him. I am led and taught by His Spirit. Rather than making the mistake and then going, I'm so stupid. I'm an idiot. I never do anything right. You're making identity confessions one way or the other. You may as well make them on the other side of it where the grace is that you can choose. Amen? So, present yourselves as instruments of righteousness to God. How do you do that? I would love for you to go home and think about that and write some things down. You know, when you go to bed tonight, think about what tomorrow looks like for you to yield yourself as an instrument of righteousness to God. Especially if you find yourself being faced with a temptation for whatever it might be, ask yourself the question, okay, I got a choice right now. If you can catch it ahead of time, some of us are so drilled and ingrained into our sin that we don't realize that there is a margin where you have a choice. You always have a choice to give in to sin or not. It's not your nature if you said yes to Jesus. It's a choice. So find that margin of choice. Realize there's a whole bunch of grace there. Acknowledge who you are. Acknowledge who He is and choose it. Yield yourself to Him. You can't perform it on your own, but living in the power of His Spirit you can. Watch it happen. I mean, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's a complicated teaching to come to one point. Grace is available and is powerful. So I would love for you to do that. You got probably time this afternoon. Go home, take your journal, take a book out, look at these passages, write down what does it mean? What does it look like for me to yield? How? Can I, in fact, pick one area of your life where you know you stumble and write down, when I am tempted, I will yield myself as an instrument of righteousness to God by doing this.
You interrupt the pattern and you give grace an opportunity to work. And you watch slowly. If you stick with it, transformation happens. It's not behavior modification. It's mind renewal with action. Amen? Should I go for 10 more minutes? I don't know. I'll stop. Father, we love you. We trust you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. God, we, don't, we do not want to live below our identity. We don't want to stay stuck in the things that keep us from trusting and believing you. We want to bring glory to your name. We love you. We want the world to know your love. I, don't, I do not want to be a hindrance to something that you're trying to do in somebody else's life because I cannot stay empowered by your righteousness. Father, I love you. I trust you. I yield to you. Thank you for your spirit. Amen, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. And thank you to those of you who support Forward Ministries financially. You truly are changing the way the world sees God. You're helping people detox from performance-based religion and experience God's love for them. We're committed to helping you renew your mind so you'll experience transformation and move forward in every area of your life. I pray you're making this heart journey. Visit my website at clintbyers.com for hundreds of free teachings and articles that will empower you to renew your mind and put on your eternal identity in Christ. I'm especially excited about my tools for transformation that have original music and modern technology designed to help you slow down and connect with the Spirit of God in your heart. I'd like to invite you to partner with Forward Ministries. Help us continue to spread the gospel and develop resources that are empowering people to grow in their identity in Christ. Thank you again for joining me. I pray God's blessings and promises over you and your family today.